Let's pray. Father, may those not simply be words coming from our lips. May those be words coming from our hearts. May you help us by your spirit through your word to grasp the living hope, the everlasting hope, the unconquerable hope, the unstoppable hope that we have in Jesus. Thank you that you have done all the work in bringing us home to glory. Thank you that you sent Jesus, born of a woman, to redeem those who were given to sin. And now as we look at how your perfect plans have unfolded in getting the Messiah to earth to die for us, I pray that your spirit would work in our hearts. I pray that Jesus would be made much of now. I pray that we would walk out of this room thinking higher thoughts of him and having fallen deeper in love with him. So give us ears to hear. Eyes to see, hearts to love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, team, for leading us this morning. What a privilege it is to sing alongside of you. I love it. I love it. And I encourage you to open your copies of the Scriptures, please, this morning to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. I hope you have a Bible with you. If you don't, that's okay. We have a Bible for you in the the hymnal rack of the pew in front of you. Or if you're sitting in the front row of a section, you'll find that Bible in the hymnal rack beneath you. It's page 1016 in the church Bible. And as you're finding your place there, just a couple of introductory comments this morning. First is, um, I have not felt well this week. And so my strength is waning and um, it's just been, it been a very difficult week. I, I thought I was through this thing on, on Thursday, and then it reared its ugly head again. And Joanna, has, jo- Joanna, my wife, has diagnosed me with the man cold. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm about to die up here, just in case you're wondering. Uh, the man cold. And so, uh, but if I don't seem normal this morning, whatever that is, Uh, that may be the reason why. And so would you pray with me that my voice will last and that um, my strength will as well. And then, and this is much more serious, on Mother's Day, I know that there are some of you ladies who dread coming to church because you would love to be a mother, but either you aren't a mother or you can't be a mother. And um, I want you to know that we acknowledge you this morning and that we're here to walk alongside of you and encourage you and uh, pray, pray for you. And so nothing I say this morning to moms is intended in any way to, to lessen the pain you feel. Or to add, to, I should say, to add to the pain you feel. And then there are mothers in our midst this morning who are here um, and they're going to listen to this and they've lost a child, either through miscarriage or a stillbirth or after the child was born. And, and today is a sorrowful day for you. The same for those of us who have lost moms. 
And so I just want to acknowledge that here at the outset of our time together and to say that we love you and we want to care well for you and we want to walk alongside of you. And one of our, our big church initiatives for 2023 is to, to be a caring church that weeps with those who weep and rejoices with those who rejoice. And so with that in mind, I invite you to follow along in your copies of God's Word this morning as I begin reading in Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. This is a familiar text, I know, and it's kind of an unusual text to be preaching probably on Mother's Day and not on Christmas Day. But here it is. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you'll bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of our God for us as his people. And I want to say right up front here, maybe just repeating what I said earlier, that this is the kind of sermon that forces me to leave my comfort zone. You know, although I've had a mom now for 51 years, and have been married to my children's mom for nearly 29 years, I do not claim to be an expert on womanhood or motherhood. And all the ladies said, (laughs) that's your cue. Thank you. But Mother's Day does provide us a unique opportunity to take a one-week break from our study in Mark's gospel to address a topic that's actually relevant not just to moms but to all of us. Because so often in mothering, like in nearly every other aspect of life or role in life, the visible results of what we're doing and how we're serving Jesus are often so slow in coming. And we can begin to wonder, is anything I'm doing really accomplishing anything? I feel like I'm stuck on that hamster wheel of life, always running but never getting anywhere. I'm not sure how long I can keep all these plates spinning in midair when nothing eternally significant seems to be happening. I would imagine that every mom in this room, every person in this room has either been there or is there right now. And so I want to show you today from the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus, that as a follower of Jesus, moms, your mothering matters. Not just today 
or tomorrow, but eternally. And that's a truth, again, that isn't limited to mothering. It's true for all of us, whether you're grilling chicken at Chick-fil-A or leading a meeting in the executive boardroom, whether you're a teen or a college student or a grandparent, whatever your stage in life, whatever your role in life, if you know Jesus by grace alone, through faith alone, then whatever role God has called you to play and whatever task God has called you to do, it's all packed with eternal significance. Do you believe that? Are you convinced of that? Because the big idea of this text today in Luke chapter 1 is that God not only enables you to accomplish every task he gives to you, he actually accomplishes his eternal purposes in and through you. When for the 32nd day in a row you've had to tell your son to make his bed. When for the 52nd week in a row you've had to pull your teenage daughter out of bed to come to church on Sunday morning. Even when your college student calls home to inform you that they've changed their major for the third time in two years. Even when your children are slow to come to Jesus. Even though you've been praying for them for years. Moms, I want to encourage you this morning to keep on following Jesus, to keep on serving Jesus, to keep on pointing your children and your husband to Jesus. Your role in God's kingdom isn't just vital, it's essential. God has a long and storied history of using women and mothers to accomplish his eternal purposes in real time, in real space, on this earth. And that's why when you trace the lineage of Jesus back in Matthew chapter 1, you'll find the names of five women there. There's Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba. And now we've got Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now for us in 21st century America, that doesn't seem all that significant. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, my own birth announcement that appeared in a northern Iowa local newspaper way back in 1971 informed the world that I was born the seven pound, seven ounce, 20 inch long son of Robert and Eileen Fields. But that never would have happened in the ancient Near East. The woman was never referenced in the ancient Near Eastern birth announcements, only the man. And so in the lineage of Jesus, recorded for us in his word, God does something unexpected and countercultural when he includes the names of five women in Jesus' genealogy. And God is showing us that women play a significant role, a vital role, an essential role in God getting his purposes done on earth. I mean, it's been true in my own life. My dad was the pastor, but it was my mom who answered my questions about Jesus and led me to faith in Jesus. I'm now the pastor, but it's Joanna, my wife, who has been instrumental in leading each of our five children to Jesus. And then there were the faithful women who, when I was younger, 
taught me in Sunday school and vacation Bible school, each of them used by God to help mold me and shape me into the man and pastor I am today. God has always chosen women and mothers to play an essential role in his kingdom, and that's why we discover that God's grace is at work right here in Luke 1. When an angel shows up to inform Mary that God has chosen her, to be the mother of the Son of God. Wow. Think about that. Here's a woman whom God has chosen to be the mother to the Son of God. Please explain that to me because I've been studying all week and I don't get it. Even though we hear this text nearly every Christmas, we know this text, but let's not let our familiarity with this text detract from the extraordinariness of this text. Don't miss the wow factor here, because here God is calling an obscure 13 or 14-year-old virgin from the little town of Nazareth to be the mother of Messiah. It's intended to shock us. We should be shocked when we read this text. We should be surprised even though we know this text. Because all along, God has been setting the scene and the stage for this text. He's been moving the puzzle pieces into place so that at just the right time, in just the right place, with just the right people, God gets his own son to earth. All of that is evidence that God prepares you for the roles and tasks he assigns to you. you believe that? Do you believe that God prepares you for the roles and tasks he assigns to you? Just, just look at all the moves, even right here in this very text, that God has been making to prepare Mary for what's about to happen. Because six months before this scene goes down, Mary's relative Elizabeth gets pregnant. Now, again, that may not seem like a big deal to us, but it is because Elizabeth appears to be past childbearing age, and her whole life she hasn't been able to get pregnant. But at just the right time, with just the right person, somebody that Mary would know personally, God does the unexpected and causes Elizabeth to get pregnant with a boy whose name will be John. We know him as John. All right, you can talk to me. It's okay, all right? I was telling our Sunday school class this morning, listen, you can talk back to me. My kids can't, but you can. So John, who will be be born to Elizabeth, his name, we know him as John the Baptist. And that's huge. Because way back in the Old Testament, God promised that before Messiah appeared on earth, there would be a forerunner, a herald, who would proclaim the coming of the king. And that's going to be John the Baptist. Do you see how God is moving the puzzle pieces into place all by his grace? Because then there's Joseph right here in this text, Joseph of Nazareth, and he's betrothed to Mary. Now, we often think of biblical betrothal as an old world take on our contemporary culture practice of engagement. 
But it's actually so much more than that. Because betrothal in that day wasn't just about being promised to each other. You were actually in marital covenant with each other. During that betrothal year, you weren't living together, but you were proving your faithfulness to one another until the wedding day when the the marriage would officially be celebrated and then consummated. Then you say, Pastor Ken, why is this a big deal? Why are you making a big deal out of this? Because it's during this betrothal year that Mary turns up pregnant. And if you go to Matthew chapter 1, you'll discover that when Mary turns up pregnant, Joseph isn't happy. He doesn't believe her story that God is the one who's done this. In fact, he's about to divorce her when an angel shows up and blows up his plans. Again, it's proof that God is setting the stage for all of this because just think about it. If Mary winds up pregnant before she's betrothed, there's no way any man is going to marry her or support her. It's the invisible hand of God moving behind the scenes, setting the stage with grace, preparing Mary for what he's calling her to do. It's what God's always done. It's what God did with an Old Testament man by the name of Joseph when he is sold into slavery and carted off to Egypt years before his own brothers would flee to Egypt in search of food, where he just happens to be the one in Egypt who's in charge of food. It happened with Moses, who was raised in the palace of Egypt decades before he is able to then lead God's people out of bondage in Egypt God is always working ahead of us, preparing the way for us. So wherever God is leading us, whatever he has in store for us, he's already there ahead of us, setting the stage for us, even when we have no idea what's coming. Just like Mary here, when God dispatches the angel Gabriel to inform her of the task he's assigned to her. Now, imagine how this may have gone down. It's just this day begins like any other day for Mary. I mean, she's an ordinary girl living in an ordinary town. So she's probably doing ordinary teenage girl things, which means she's probably hanging out where? The mall. All right. Okay. So I didn't have that in my notes, but that would have been a good one. Okay. The mall. Maybe we could take a little poll here. Where do teenage girls hang out? Now, we've got a couple of teenage girls. We've had, we have four girls. So two of them are through their teenage years and two of them are in their teenage years. And I'll tell you where they like to hang out. They like to hang out in their bedroom. I just imagine Mary's hanging out in her bedroom, probably thinking about whatever teenage girls think about when suddenly Gabriel shows up there in her room, an angel from heaven and says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Now, those are significant words because they're unusual first words for an angel. What do angels usually lead with when they first show up and speak to humans? Don't be what? Don't be afraid. Do not fear. But not here, not now with Mary. Instead, Gabriel says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is is with you. Right up front, Mary needs to know that God equips you to do what he calls you to do. 
As a follower of Jesus, then, God's preparing grace is always accompanied by his equipping grace. And so he gives you everything you need to do what he's asking you to do, even when that task seems too much for you. I still remember how overwhelmed Joanna Joanna and I felt when we brought our oldest daughter, Lizzie, home from the hospital for the very first time. I mean, we buckled her in her car seat. We drove drove out of the hospital parking lot, and and we looked looked at each other, and we said, are they really letting us take her home all by ourselves? I mean, we were just overwhelmed. Anybody else feel that way when you brought your first child home? I can't believe it. They're letting us take her. We were so overwhelmed. We felt so unprepared and unqualified. We had no idea that we'd still feel that way after number five. <laughs> Listen, moms, in so many ways, the task of mothering is beyond you. It's too much for you. It's supposed to be. So that you'll learn to lean into the Lord, who, as Gabriel says here, is with you. The late nights, the early mornings, the juggling of so many responsibilities, and then you discover that as the kids grow older, parenting doesn't get easier, it gets harder. Molding and shaping teenage hearts to love and follow Jesus in a world that's so anti-Jesus, the deck can seem so stacked against you. But remember that as a follower of Jesus, the Lord is just as much with you as he was with Mary, always giving you everything you need in every situation, even when you don't know what to do or what to say or what to think, just like Mary here when Gabriel says to her, do not be afraid, Mary. Okay, so there's that lead line for an angel. But what's significant here is that, is that Gabriel calls Mary by name. And that shows us that, that, it's, that God's universal presence with us, that, that God's presence with us isn't just his universal presence, that he is everywhere present all the time. That's true. But the emphasis here is that the omnipresent God is powerfully present with Mary personally. He knows her by name. She's not just some nameless, faceless girl from little map dot Nazareth. She's God's child. And if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, then you are too. And he calls you by name. He's with you always. So don't be afraid. Because you have found favor with God for every follower of Jesus, that's you too. You haven't earned favor with God. You've been gifted with favor, uh, favor with God through Jesus. You see, that's what grace is. That's what grace does. And so moms, you don't mother in an attempt to earn God's favor. You mother from a position of God's favor. And that's a big deal. That's huge. Because that means that God is for you in every moment of your mothering. He's on your side. 
And that's why you can be who God has called you to be and do what God has called you to do. And that's why Gabriel says, listen, Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And moms, there's so much for you in those words. Because the name Jesus literally means Jehovah is salvation. Jesus is the Savior. Now, we often limit the application of Jesus saving us to the moment of our conversion. But Jesus as Savior is, is so much more than that because to truly, think about it, to, to truly save us, He must keep us safe to the end. He must continue His work of grace in us until we make it home to heaven. So there's an ongoing ministry that Jesus has with you as your Savior. He sustains you. He strengthens you for every, every task he assigns to you. And so Gabriel says, Mary, here's what you need to know about Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Do you see it? Do you feel it? How those words about Jesus just ooze with authority and sovereignty and strength and power. It's exactly what Mary will need every moment of every day for the rest of her life until she reaches glory. Jesus, her son, will be that for her. And Jesus, your Savior, will be that for you. It's all proof that God will accomplish his plans through you. Like he does with Mary. And that's why verses 32 and 33 are the key verses in this text. In fact, we could put it this way. Verses 32 and 33 guarantee God's executing grace. That he will do, he will execute his plans through you. So we've got preparing grace that leads to equipping grace, and equipping grace plays itself out in God's executing grace. You know, there's so much here in verses 32 and 33 about the identity of Jesus. We could camp out here for weeks. So much here about the authority of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, the destiny of Jesus as king. He's the son of God, yet the son of David who reigns as king over everyone and everything. And let's just be honest this morning, there are sometimes it's hard to believe that because it's because we don't see it. We don't see Jesus reigning as king. We don't see the world bowing before him. We see the world rebelling against him. We don't see every tongue or hear every tongue confessing that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There but there is coming a day when Jesus will reign on the earth because Jesus is the king of all the earth. And that means that the one Mary will welcome into her world will reign over the world. That means that she will hold the one who's actually holding her. 
She will look into the eyes of the one who sees everything about her. She will teach the one who knows everything about her. She will give life to the one who will lay down his life to win eternal life for her. Mary's son is God's son, the king who reigns over your sons and daughters every moment of every day. Moms, let that truth encourage you when you're tempted to worry about the many things outside of your control. I still remember that helpless feeling when we dropped off our daughter Lizzie at college in South Carolina. 687 miles, I counted them up, 687 miles from our home in southern Illinois. And when we left her there for the first hour on the way back through the mountains of North Carolina, Joanna and I couldn't say a word to each other. We wouldn't be there anymore for her, to provide for her, to protect her. We no longer had much control at all over her world, but Jesus did, and he does for you too. You see, no one cares for your children like Jesus does. No one can protect and provide for your children like he can. He's always there with them, even when you aren't. He can do what you can't. He's king. And that's precisely what Mary is going to learn when she asks, how can I get pregnant, Gabriel? Because um, how do I put this, Gabriel? Virgins don't get pregnant. It's the same question we'd be asking. But God has the answer. And moms, God always has the answer for every situation, even those that seem impossible to us, because those are the situations God specializes in. That's why the Red Sea split in two for God's people to walk through. That's why the sun stood still in the sky for Joshua to win the war. That's why the lions did not have Daniel for lunch. It's all because God can do what we can. And that's why Gabriel says, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. He will be the son of God. It's so unfathomable, incomprehensible, because it's humanly impossible. But it's true because it's God. And nothing is impossible with God. Moms, do you believe that? You believe that nothing's impossible with God? What situation seems too much for you to overcome? What problem appears too difficult for you to solve? What task too hard for you to do? Apply the words of Gabriel to your world. Nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing, absolutely nothing. Because when you get the greatness of Jesus, when you get that the greatness of Jesus and the glory of Jesus are revealed in the all-sufficient grace of Jesus, then your response to God's call on your life will echo Mary's response in verse 38 
when she says to Gabriel, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I can't comprehend it. But I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And we're like, well, of course that's what she says. It's what Mary says in every Christmas pageant I've ever seen. (laughs) But listen, that's not just a line for Mary. That's life for Mary. God isn't just rewriting her plans. He's blowing up her plans. Her dreams of a perfect wedding and the perfect family and of being a well-respected member of the community. Because remember, in that day, pregnancy before marriage meant that you were ostracized and stigmatized for life. People won't just stare at her growing belly and then point and snicker as they whisper, yeah, (laughs) she's the one who claims to be a pregnant virgin with the Son of God. It'll be 30 years later that she will still wear that scarlet letter as the Jewish religious leaders will refer to Jesus as Mary's illegitimate son. It'll be 33 years later that she'll be standing at the foot of a cross, watching her firstborn die for our sins and for her sins. I'm not sure she gets all of that right here, right now. But she's willing to embrace God's grace and say, let it be. I'm all yours, God. I surrender all. Not my will, but yours be done. Can you say that this morning? Can you look up into heaven and say, Let it be to me according to your word. I surrender all. Every area of your life, your dreams, your hopes, your plans, your children, your career, your marriage, your finances, everything. Even when you know, at least some of what Mary must know here, that your submission to God is going to mean sacrifice and suffering. But there is great meaning in all of that when the grace of God is accomplishing the plans of God in your life, because that's for eternity. That really matters. That will live forever. So there's only one way then that you can embrace this kind of life that says, I'm yours, God. And that's to embrace the grace of the one who suffered for you as the sacrifice for your sins. Have you repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus? Have you trusted in the one that Mary will trust in? as her Savior, as her Redeemer, as her King. The Bible says in John 3, verse 16, that God so loved the world that He gave 
I'm not sure we understand that the depth of that word gave. The Father gave the Son to the point of death on a cross. He loved the world. And so he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes on him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Have you believed? Have you trusted in the one who gave his life for you, dying in your place as though, as though he had committed every one of your sins, as though he had committed every one of Mary's sins? So that God now looks on you with favor and grace rather than judgment and wrath. There's only one way to find that, and that's in Jesus. That's why Galatians 3 verse 26 says that we are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Will you believe? Will you come to him and trust in him, repenting of your sins and turning to him, embracing him as your Lord and Savior and King? And then and then, a whole new eternity opens up to you and the tasks and plans God has for you take on eternal meaning like they do with Mary right here. The same grace that saves you gives real meaning to everything about you and every task for you. God not only enables you to accomplish every task he gives you, he accomplishes his eternal purposes in and through you. So moms, when you're at the end of your rope, there's hope. When your questions are many and the answers are few, there's grace. When you're worn down and worn out, there's strength. Let Mary's story speak into yours. The same God who called her has called you. He is for you and he is with you, working his grace in you so that you can echo the words of 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And know this, that his grace toward me was not in vain. Moms, it's not in vain. God's grace is not in vain. Your work is not in vain. Your effort is not in vain. So don't quit. Don't give up. Keep on loving Jesus. Keep on leading your children to Jesus. Keep on mothering for the glory of Jesus because by the grace of Jesus, your mothering matters eternally. Amen. Lord, may you take your word, plant its truth deep within us, convince us where we are doubting, reveal to us what we don't see, show us the grace and the glory of Jesus. In his name, amen.